Welcome to the 10 Frame Podcast for Emerging Artists, brought to you from the downtown Savannah rooftop suites. My name is Kelly Thompson. And I am Kevin Kirkwood. And you can find us at the 10 Frame on Instagram and our Gmail, the 10 Frame at Gmail. You can find me at kellythompsonart.com and on Instagram at kellykthompsonart. And my website is kevinwillpaint.com and my IG is kevinkirkwood.studio. Thank you everyone for listening to today's podcast. We have the opportunity to talk to Tobia Macover. Tobia is a fine art photographer and mixed media artist whose work creates intrigue through timeless and emotive imagery. Each piece starts with a photograph, the soul of her work. Tobia then encompasses many layers of medium that she paints, carves, torches, and then preserves in wax and resin through an encaustic process. To name a few spaces that she's shown her work, there's a long list, but a few places that she's exhibited is at the National Portrait Gallery in London, the PH Neutro in Verona, Italy, and the APAD. An APAD, yes. Sweet. So everyone, please welcome Tobia Macover. Perfect. Sort of. So how are you? Thank you for inviting me to your space. This is beautiful. Well, I have to say I feel a little strange talking into this microphone, but I will do my best to push through. We're in it together. Yes, thank you. I feel that. Good. (laughs) So one day we'll have video and we can't run from people, uh, their nerves in the podcast, but not today. We'll just do um, microphones. So I got very lucky that we're not doing video. Exactly. (laughs) Right off the top, let's talk about how do people get a hold of you? Um, You can, my website, okay, back to the name thing, which is Tobia Macover. It was a very difficult name to be a kid, to have that as your name. I have grown into the name, and I own it, and it's unique. And I can now say, Google me. There you go. (laughs) That's what I did before I got here. (laughs) Excellent. Um, And tons of stuff will pop up, but tobiamacover.com is my website. And I'm sort of obsessed with Instagram. So at, guess what, at tobiamacover. It's pretty clever. The same, same as the... Yes. Branding. It's all about branding. <laughs> Thanks, mom and dad. <laughs> so what do you make? I prefaced the conversation with a little bit of an intro, mm-hmm. but I'd like to hear from your words. You know, what are you making and why do you make it? Right. Good question. So I started in photography, straight photography, film photography in the 80s. And then I, since I think what happened was trying to think of the time frame is that I got pregnant about, what was that, 16 and a half years ago, and I couldn't work in the dark room. So I started printing out on this beautiful um, watercolor paper on my Epson printer. And I started experimenting and came across wax, which I didn't know the term was encaustic at the time. It wasn't very popular, definitely not photo encaustic, no such thing. And it changed 
everything about my work. I was using a dark room. I had 25 prints that were matted and framed, and that was my show. And using encaustic gave me so much more, what do you call it, breadth of work. Um, I could put, I make thousands and thousands of pieces now. So they start with a photograph. I layer it with encaustic. What's Back up real quick. What's encaustic? So encaustic is beeswax and resin. It dates back to the first century. They used to cover oil paintings with it. They'd bury the dead. Actually, this is sort of important and interesting to Uh me. So they would bury the dead with this, this painting of themselves covered in wax and in Egypt. And then you could actually, when they unearth these bodies, this sounds gross, but when they unearth these bodies, the encaustic paintings still existed. So a key term with photographers is archivability. How long will they last? And when I put the wax on top of these paper the paper absorbs it and it can last forever nice yeah so do you make your own wax i guess or sometimes i do and i think i'm gonna have to go back to making it myself it's a combination of damar resin which is like a crystallized resin and beeswax okay but you can also buy it pre-made which is more expensive so Mm. i tend to put it in a crock pot Mm -hmm and make it myself, make slabs of it. So you make slabs and then for later use, I guess, and then you heat it back up and then pour it onto the photos? Well, you can dip, pour, and or (laughs) throw. (laughs) I've I've been known to do that. It hurts a little if it lands on you. Blood, sweat, and tears in the work. Or um, brush. I do a lot of brushing and then with a heat gun or a blowtorch mm-hmm. on the bigger pieces, I can move the wax around and manipulate it. But that's not where it ends. Because okay. since then, I have now, because I'm able to make so much more of the work, I can make them in a variety of sizes. I have started layering objects and paint on top of the photographs. I have started making object work with all the objects I collect, whether they're bones, keys, metal boxes, as well as they're starting to turn into sculptural pieces. I have a big sculpture. Those are three, I think, 16 by 16 inch boxes. Um, I call her Queen Bee. So it's coming sculpture. And But what's really fascinating to me is the finding alternative spaces to show the work and doing installation-based work. So the sculpture that you were just pointing to, they're 16-inch cubed boxes. There's three of them stacked on each other, and it looks like an image of a a female figure. Mm -hmm. And the boxes are stacked on top of each other, but they're kind of, they're not linear. How would I describe it? They're all shifted at a different angle. So you see certain images, certain images are revealed on one side and not on the other. Right, but there are images on every single side of the box, so you can walk around the sculpture. And it looks like a black and white or a muted color palette. Right, and I was strictly black and white, but um, actually 
I think the iPhone has changed my seeing, mm-hmm. which is a strange thing. I typically shoot with a Hasselblad film camera. It's a medium format camera. It doesn't run on batteries. You don't plug it in. And I love putting it on my tripod, set the scene, and usually do one second exposure. I love the sound it makes. I think it's super sexy. And I've been shooting with this for over 30 years. So I'm in love with my Hasselblad. Um, but I also really enjoy shooting with the iPhone and that's why I'm a little obsessed with Instagram. It's fun. It's easy. It's quick. Um, and because of that, I used to shoot only color. I would only see shades of gray lighting shadows, um, shooting with the iPhone. I'm starting really to shoot in color. So I have been shooting with color film in my Hasselblad. I tend to mute down the colors a little bit because I don't want them to be the main focus of the image, the color or not the color. I'm more interested in the gesture, the pose, um, and the feeling of the image. Okay. Now we've mm-hmm. kind of described what it looks like um, sitting in your studio. And not only do you make the sculptural items, you're doing wall hung pieces. Yes looks typically like squares mm, square yeah. square yeah because mm-hmm. i shoot with the Hasselblad, which okay. is a square format oh so i do do a mostly square images right. not if you look at the horizontal the 16 inch by i believe 80 inch those are comprised of a few images photographs combined if you will to make a long horizontal but yes typically a square right on and so we talked about what it looks like that you're making. What about where are you making it? Are you, it looks like you have two studios. You have a space that you do the encaustic stuff, but you also perhaps have a space that you take the photographs mm. with, or do you do it on location? So yes, I do most of the work on location. The last mm. five years I've been going to Asaba Island, which mm. I encourage all Savannians, everyone to look into it's a most amazing, magical place. It's an island that you can only get to by boat. Um, and you need permission to be able to go there, stay there, and create there. It's an island that Sandy West developed for artists, scientists, and educators. I think in a lot of our society, those three are overlooked quite a bit mm-hmm. and are underpaid a bit, maybe, overeducated, underpaid. So it's a very magical place to create, as well as other places. But this is where I've been going for the last five years. And the work that you happen to be right in front of Mm -hmm. is from Asaba Island. So what does that look like? What's that trip? You you wake up and go on a boat and go to the space? Well, you you plan it quite a bit. And you find a group um, mostly happening to go with women um, that are creators that need a moment to breathe to think and to make and you know you were you before this podcast even started you you mentioned that who inspires you and a huge inspiration of mine are the fellow artists that surround me that push to live a creative life that 
sustain themselves as artists. It's not a small feat. And those are the people that inspire. So when I go over to Asaba, you know, I think of, you know, Betsy Kane, Carmela, Lori Corbis just came in town and went with us. So many women, I'm, I don't want to miss them all, yeah. but yeah, local artist. Nice. So you've got your, your crew, your, the people that you can lean on and also find creativity mm. with. Spend time creating beautiful things. Yes. Just, what kind of boat? <laughs> like, is it a sailboat, a motorboat? It's a little, oh gosh, this is not my specialty. It doesn't matter. Like Let's a motorboat. Let's call Fran Lapala. He ta- he's our guide. He takes us over. So it's not a sailboat. It's not a sailboat. No. I don't even know how far. How far is the the journey? It's uh, just fifteen twenty Got minutes. Yeah. Not far. Right on. But the key is, it's only accessible by boat. Yeah. Nobody else is there. You are the only ones there. Oh. There's an island south of here, Cumberland Island. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't think it's the same thing. But there's supposedly wild horses there as well. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a little bit different. I do think that there are people that... No, I know that there are people that live on Cumberland. Oh, okay. um, but it is only accessible by boat. And it's very difficult to actually buy a home or you can't rent a home there or anything. Mm-hmm. There's only one small hotel there. Right. So what's the theme? So we know what you're making. Why are you making? Well, first of all, let me just start off by I don't always have a specific theme that I'm consciously thinking of. This has been somewhat new because in the past, in my 20s, 30s, I would come up with sort of a project idea, a very loose one, and shoot that. But now there's so much happening in my life as a mother, as a daughter, as an artist that I have, there's so much there um, that I just work instinctually now. And it usually, I start seeing things in the work and start kind of putting it together as I see it. So I have identified two sort of separate projects right now. One is about how women view women. And it's not something I consciously am thinking about, but I do tend to photograph women. And I was just talking to a friend of mine, Melinda, who lives in Italy now, and how women in art as subjects have mostly been objects and objectified, and how men view women. And it's not all bad, um, but women viewing women is completely different. And that's really what my work is about, is women. And motherhood and being a daughter and being a woman in the society. Um, my work is, I want to say it's beautiful and feminine, yet also these women are strong and powerful and own who they are and know who they are. Um, you know, it's a can of worms, but I'm very fascinated with how women are viewing women. And also the work kind of is mythical and somewhat magical. I've been influenced by a lot of writers in my life, magical realism. I love this reality of photography, yet something in the work is just askew or off or layered or 
magic. The art is magic. Um, and then there's another project which means a lot to me, and you can see some of a boy, of a man, young man in the work, and that's my eldest son. And during COVID, it was really, he's 15, almost 16 now. And during COVID, he went through a really tough time. He's outgoing, he's funny, he was great at school, smart. And when he was sort of stuck in his room um, for a year and a half, he struggled. Um, but he also is a wonderful writer. And so I took him to Asaba with me and he started writing and I started putting words on top of his words, specifically on top of the images I was taking of him. So his words are? The words are like, okay. are up here. He writes poems. So run boy run is one. Um, another's he knew just bits and pieces of his words from his poems so you'll take a photograph mount it to paneling or canvas um it's wood Wood. it's cradled um boards okay and then you'll put wax on top of that and then it looks like you'll use acrylic paint maybe is it for the lettering for the no for the lettering i use you know the words that you use in like making garage sale signs like stencils stencils that's the word thank you i use stencils and that's wax so i color my wax as well so i have a whole tray of different colors that i've added color to the wax i see is this stuff on your website it's Um, in the works it's works in progress and not really yeah no the words are not yet on my website I'm going to start posting some of them on my Instagram, though. I think I have not really shown a lot of them. Um, Maybe, too, because it's a work that's not fully realized. Um, I actually just found out that I am going to Italy on an artist retreat and bringing my son. That's No way. I'm going to bring my son Samuel with me. My husband and younger son will be at home with our wonderful dog and Samuel who will be turning 16 I will take him on an amazing adventure but we will continue working on this project together in Italy great what part of Italy it's called Padula the art center in Padula p-a-d-u-l-a I believe it's a small town southern Italy when you you got this summer did you say yes and I need to contact Melinda about the exact dates I'm going over but yes the summer and June you have to be extremely excited about this opportunity I really am I am a traveler at heart I have especially in my 20s and early 30s have lived abroad quite a bit traveled abroad I was lucky enough to teach in Lacoste in France for SCAD as well mm-hmm. and since having children I've been homebound in fact I did a body of work called Rooted um, about being homebound and tied to this land, this literally specific land of Savannah, having babies. And I am thrilled not only to leave this country for a hot minute again, but now to be able to not separate my career as an artist with my children, because I do believe it's tightly entwined. Right. And you're making objects that 
remind yourself of the journey that you took mm-hmm. at a later time. Yeah. How long is the residency? Three weeks. Three weeks. Mm-hmm. That is awesome. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. Let's maybe shift gears and talk about when you're making work, what are you listening to or what, what is, what's going on there? Yeah, that's interesting because I don't listen to anything. Silence. It's so strange. I think I listen to what's in my head, which is usually very busy, and don't listen to really anything. Sometimes music, but often the case, I'm not listening to anything. I'm trying to empty my brain while I am working. It's an interesting question because everybody gives us, obviously, their unique experience. Mm. I will say something else because... I find that I really gain a lot of inspiration, not through music, which Mm -hmm. is, as my husband would say, I'm a little tone deaf, but through reading and um, movies, that's how I escape. Okay. So it's very um, visual. I have to be, and I don't listen to books, which is interesting. I read the real thing, the object. I mean, as you can see, I like objects, so I guess that makes sense. Do you ever read before you work or during your work process? No. <laughs> they're too not they're not affiliated. I mean, the reading inspires the artwork mm-hmm. in subtle ways, but not directly, I guess. Okay. Can you talk about the moment that you realized that your work was like you had something, you know, there's probably like a struggle. Mm. I'm imagining there's like a struggle every day. Well, and then you pivoted. I'm sure there came a point where you realized, wow, I'm making work that's that people appreciate and I'm starting to sell work. And it's like another Mm. lane. I found my lane and now I'm going somewhere. I can speak to that. Well, first off, I, I question what I do every day and does it go on deaf ears? You know, why am I doing it? Um, There's so much better artwork out there. I question, I doubt, and I'm 51 years old. I mean, when does that end? And it never, that's what I keep... Sorry, that's what I'm finding out. It's not going to end. It's never going to end. So you always, always have to just push through. And for me, making art is exhaling. I have to make the art Mm -hmm. so even if nobody sees it I I am going to make it anyway but that said there is a point when I realized that I could sustain myself as a full-time artist that I could because I was teaching and it was impossible to teach full-time to make art full-time, and God forbid, at the time I didn't have children, but to even think about bringing another being into this world, I knew I would have to make choices, and it looked more and more like teaching was the avenue until I actually have the piece right here, shockingly, because I was trying to clean my studio, and it's shocking because it's not that great. But I found, thank you, um, I couldn't really afford being an artist at first. Um, I couldn't afford having someone print my work. I couldn't afford building another dark room. God knows I couldn't afford to mat and frame the work that I needed to mat and frame to make an exhibition. 
Tobia. Yes. You just handed me uh, what <laughs> I'll just describe it real quick. It's a six by six inch piece of half inch plywood. And there's a black and white photo. It looks like a woman walking down a grassy hill with a maybe a barn in the background. Lots of sky. The photo is bisected on a diagonal going up left to right mostly sky i guess that's what mm-hmm. I'm, what i'm looking at yeah so and it has wax on it and i didn't and i would call it it was just beeswax it wasn't encaustic there was no damar didn't know what damar was um but i was i was frustrated that i couldn't afford to make art and that actually really pissed me off so i started to um try to figure out other ways to make art that I could afford to make. And so I would go dumpster diving and I would find random pieces of wood. And then I remember somebody in graduate school working with some sort of wax. The word encaustic never came up, but I thought wax, maybe I can do something with wax. I went to the Savannah Bee Company and this woman in the back comes running out because I said, do you have any leftover wax? I'm, exper- I'm an artist. I'm experimenting. And this woman comes out with a 30 pounds of leftover beeswax. Oh, God, thank this woman. And I've talked to Ted about this, Ted Denard, who owns Savannah Bee Company, thanking him repeatedly. And... I started experimenting with, um, which I thought at the time was a throwaway photo, because back in the day, if your photograph wasn't perfect, you would rip it up. I think this still happens, which I find absolutely insane to just throw away something that's not perfect. So this is a quote-unquote imperfect print, a piece of plywood I found in a dumpster, and some beeswax that Um, Savannah Bee Company gave me that they were going to get rid of. And I made this piece that's definitely rough around the edges for, gosh, a couple dollars, if that. And I don't know why I had it, but I showed somebody it and said, look at this, what I made. And they looked at it and they said, oh my God, this is gorgeous. Can I buy it? I was like, really? And I, I said, how much would you buy it for? And they's like, I don't know. I, I'm, it was another artist, so they didn't have a lot of money. But she's like, $200? I know that's really low. It's like $200 on $3 it cost me to make. And it was a lightning bolt. It's amazing. Yeah, you're so excited about it. Well, and I was excited by what it looked like. Mm-hmm. And it was nothing I had ever done before. So I actually had my first show... No, I'm sorry. This is like my 10th show by now. I'd shown already at National Portrait Gallery at a couple other fancy places. And I had these these pieces. I had about 15 of them. And I thought, I need to try to show them somewhere. And my friend, Michelle, who owns Madame Chrysanthemums downtown, gorgeous it's a flower shop and gift store unlike anything you've ever seen you should absolutely go there it's spectacular and magical and her work is magical her bouquets beautiful and she was having her I think two-year anniversary and I showed these 
15 pieces, she took, I think, 20% instead of the regular 50-50 split a gallery would do. Mm-hmm. And I sold, I think, all of them or all of them except for three. And it was the first exhibition I've ever had that I actually made money. And I was happy about the work, happier than I've ever been. And I thought, oh my God, maybe I can be a full-time artist. The female figure is walking downhill and not walking uphill. I don't know if that's the signifier of hope. And it was a happy accident that it was going that way, but you're saying that it's a special piece. Maybe I'm looking too into it, but... Well, it's actually a place um, that was photographed in the south of France, a very beautiful, special place um, for me at that quote-unquote barn behind her is where Van Gogh was institutionalized. And these are the beginnings of the sort of the haystacks that he was so famous for painting and where he cut his ear off and where they still have a sanitarium where a lot of people go for, you know, depression and Mm. whatnot. So it's still a working facility. Well, it's a great place. Again, she's walking downhill and I'm thinking like, like if you was if I was walking uphill, then mm. that I associate that to struggle. Mm. Yeah, like, no, there's a freedom there, a beauty there in the work, and yeah. part of it, sure, is that she is almost floating downhill. Yeah. You know, and the work is from I think on plain air. It's on my website as well. Sweet. Very ethereal, light, um, a beautiful lighter time. I think and and. Mm my life and it reflects in the work yeah yeah so how did you get into these larger spaces or bigger fancier spaces that you were mentioning like Mm. what was it through like call to artists or was it through relationships that you've built or a mixture yeah I think I think the most important thing here is that because it was different there are different stories for each relationship but unless you put your work out there no one will see it right so in each circumstance like I did this show with a curator who saw my work in a collective gallery downtown it was in the fanciest of galleries but if the work speaks to someone it doesn't matter really where you show it whether it's a floral shop or at the National Portrait Gallery Um, APAD this was um it was at the armory in new york city where the italian gallerist found the work and she put me in shows with nan golden and um some current photographers like sig harvey gorgeous work jefferson Heyman, fabulous um but he found me um he's retired now unfortunately but he found me at shop scad oh cool a lot of people have found me through Shop SCAD, and I'm happy to talk about SCAD too, because what they do at Shop SCAD is pretty special. You have an option, they'll come out and buy your work, mm-hmm. and you know, at a low cost, but then they own it, they buy a lot, and then they put it in their store and sell it. And it can be students, alumni, professors. And that's all they sell. Right. And they also, when people like Oprah or, you know, when people come to speak, they give 
student work or alumni work as a gift. Oh, I didn't to, know that. Oh, yeah. It's, so they purchase the work like through what you just described and then like, give them out as swag or whatever the yeah. swag, I guess. So one of the writers I was just written up in Forbes magazine mm-hmm. and the writer who has ended up being a friend of mine, but she Miss Brian Welsh. Yes. Oh yeah, you're perfect. This is how we're here, <laughs> yeah, actually. Exactly. Brianne, we love you. Definitely. Um she was living in New York and was you know, is a freelance writer writing for fabulous publications. She's a fabulous writer. And she came down for Define Define fa- Art. Define Art. Yeah. Um, Which is happening next week. Mm. I think February twenty eighth. They have some great exhibits. And mm-hmm. as a thank you for coming down and writing about SCAD, they gave her one of my pieces. And she contacted me to say, this was a beautiful piece. It's really mo- moving. And that started a conversation. And it was maybe five years later, she ended up writing this article that was in Forbes magazine and I think when I came to speak to her class, she was teaching an art criticism class at SCAD now. I spoke to the, the class, which Kevin was in, which is why I'm here. <laughs> it's all about relationships and putting your work out there. Even on Instagram now, anywhere you can, put your work out there. Be vulnerable. Be vulnerable. Be brave. Yeah. Yes. I'm noticing some of your pieces, I would assume they're newer work because they're in your studio, but they have lots of dots and Mm. it looks like it might be paint. Yes. Can you talk a little about that? Yes. Um, During COVID, I wasn't making new work. In fact, I was planning two big shows that were both canceled. So I had this, and what you're talking about, this in the very beginning was this very contrasty blue and white work with a big landscape and a small figure. And I, I'm not sure how it started, but I started making these dots. Actually, I was making dots. This is really old work off to the right where you see dots of wax. So I've always been intrigued about dots and how they move a viewer's eyes to a specific place. Well, I started making these small dots obsessively. It was um, it was a med- using wax, not paint, right? No, this actually oh. I was started by using wax. Oh, okay. But then I started using this metallic paint, also this white paint. I have it over here. Mm-hmm. It's Tester's paint, and I started laying it on top of the wax. It became a meditation, almost like. Um, sand paintings you just kind of lean over the painting and it was a meditation and what I realized was I was making pathways but I was predominantly making orbs and I was making orbs around people and orbs coming off of people and I feel like it was about pathways it was also about protection and protecting people and meditation and 
I would love to keep doing that because it is a completely calming experience for me. It's a way for me to completely empty my brain. And I have to ask, what's going on with the the bones? Oh my god! Or I don't. I don't need an answer. Do you see all these bones? You know, I'm anything but what. I'm definitely prolific. Mm-hmm. I don't just like pick one bone. It has to be five thousand. Um, so what's the one with the big teeth? Those are all boar bones, Boars, and okay. on Asaba Island okay. again. Yep. Um, they have boars there and they will do hunts because boars will completely destroy an island if not kept in check so they kill the boars but i happen to find out the spot where they dump the bodies this is not appropriate to say but i called it the killing fields which is awful because it speaks of atrocities in our history but this is where they dump the bodies and i go bone digging I call it you mm-hmm. don't they really lay on top of the ground so you don't really have to dig much and just over the years and I've been going there for quite some time I will keep grabbing a skull a jawbone I started painting them during COVID too mm-hmm. again I tend to take things that are around and make something from that but I have yet to figure out why I'm doing this and what I'm going to make from that. They're in some of my object works, but I keep thinking about like a rib bone corset mm-hmm. and a vertebrae cape. Okay. <laughs> like these warrior women. My dad used to make women's clothing for a living, and my mother was a model. So this idea of fashion, well, my type of fashion, bless their hearts, they didn't realize I would come out of them. um, Making bone capes. Making bone capes. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait. Yeah, they they will play into something soon. You can make a teeth choker. I mean, I definitely see it as jewelry um, and hair thing. But then does it get too kitschy? You know, maybe. Maybe. Maybe not. But you have to try it before you realize if it's too kitschy or not, right? Be brave. Isn't that the theme? You can make like a grill for your teeth. (laughs) No. That's definitely appropriation. This This white girl don't know nothing about grills. Gotcha. But rib corsets, as a Southern woman, I can speak greatly about that. Makes sense. (laughs) Some of the things that you do extra, you know, when you're not creating work is playing tennis and you do, what what are some other things that you enjoy doing while you're not making work? Well, if the work thing isn't going well, I would love to become a professional tennis player. And if any of my tennis friends hear this, they will be laughing. Um, but I do also love teaching. I used to, was an adjunct professor at SCAD. But what I'm really excited about is our upcoming workshop in at Los Angeles Center of Photography, LACP, with my co-conspirator and friend, Lori Verba. It's called The Work of Art. It's in March, I believe. And it's a workshop 
talking about how to sustain ourselves as artists. How can people find out about it, more about it? Um, go to Los Angeles Center of Photography website and I guess look up my name, Tobia Macover and Lori Verba, and you'll find the course, The Work of Art. Cool. Let's see if we can get some people out there. Thank you. So another thing that I'm finding out about, well, I quickly looked at your website, as I previously mentioned, or maybe I didn't on air, but on your website, you have some photos of your previous exhibits, and you don't typically have just one photograph, 60 inches on center, and then another photograph, you know, three feet from that, 60 inches on center. You have many, many photographs, many um, shapes, Floor pieces, works works on floors. Yeah, there you yeah. go. I remember yeah. you, you you mentioned the old yellow house, the shitty yellow house, <laughs> the shitty yellow, yellow house. And if I remember correctly, you also you, it was not like a white cube, you know, placement, the typical placement of photographs. It's more yeah. of like a collage, kind of, sort of. Mm, or, what yeah. Did, how would you? I, I guess it? I would call it installation art. Sure, yeah. I mean. You know, but that's so boring because it sounds almost industrial. Yeah. Like I fit into this industrial art, yeah. um, but it's not. It is. It feels like I say I'm tone deaf, but a lot of the shows look almost have their own rhythm or spacing or melody or first of all, I can speak on multiple layers here is that one when I wasn't always invited to the best galleries in the world. I decided that I would create my own party. Just because a gallerist hasn't signed you on doesn't mean you shouldn't you shouldn't show your work. I'm going to repeat that. <laughs> Just because you, the gallery of your dreams does not put you on as an artist doesn't mean you shouldn't have an exhibition. I've started to find alternative spaces to have shows. And I found that by opening my mind to where I'm going to exhibit changed the way I exhibited the work. I broke every rule I could. I put artwork on the floor. I hung it from the ceiling. I everywhere and anything, it just set me free. I'm very passionate about that. And I'm passionate about showing an alternative spaces from a house that's about to be destroyed to the most beautiful barn, if you want to call it, on the Isle of Hope that people drove 20 minutes outside of town to go to on the waterway. It was one of my favorite exhibition spaces. Um, Thank you, Holly Yakala. I just wanted to throw that out there. It's not just like it's the alternative spaces. Oh, the website, too. One of the things on my website, if you go to the installations, there are these little movies that I've put together that you click on. And those movies have been so important to me. I don't make them either Lori Verba, who is my co-conspirator, dear friend, or Addison Brown, put these little, I say little movies, they're magnificent movies, uh, shorts about the exhibition. 
Um, and I think that's really important as an artist that not only do you make the exhibition, but that you put something together after you show that you can share with the rest of the world. What, how, if you're lucky, what, 100, 200, 300 people come to your exhibition, but not all of us can see it. So make something, even if it's rudimentary, show pictures, show little shorts, reels, to share that experience of your exhibition. Document it thoroughly. Document the heck out of it. So jump, don't jump. I'm looking on your website right now. Okay. Since you asked me to. Or oh, okay. asked You invited everybody <laughs> to. Um, has anyone said that it looks like no code? No, what is no code? Pearl Jam. I'm a Pearl Jam fan. Oh, I used to love Pearl yeah. Jam. 90s. Yeah, not um, not literally. Okay. It just reminded me. Like the images are nothing like Pearl Jam's no code. It's just rectangular. Your work is rectangular and similarly their cover of no code is also just random side note. Mm. I didn't know if there was any correlation. Um, that'd be a negative. <laughs> but other other, insta- <laughs> <laughs> other installations that you've done, you, um, I, I would draw a parallel between the dots that you're currently working on and the dots moving throughout the piece. Mm. Your, your paintings, it just starts in one side of the wall, like one or two photos, and then it kind of works its way across the space, and then it's a ton of photos, yeah. dozens of photos, it looks like. No, that'd be a thousand. Oh. <laughs> I only see one small image, but... Yeah, yeah they're tiny cubes, oh, as wow. you can see. They're 2D, 3D. Um, I think I lost track count after, like, 800. That is from a show called Sleight of Hand. That was the first time my friend Lori Verba invited me up to North Carolina to do an exhibition with Heidi Kirkpatrick, Addison Brown, Brooke Cottle, Lori Verba, and I. It was my favorite group exhibition ever. Um, it was during a photo review festival, and it was magical and it was fun and there's a beautiful film that Addison made after of it, of that experience of it. I think this was before we started recording. We, no, we did because the whole object of this podcast was to lift other artists up and that spoke, that speaks to me deeply um, because that is what, oh my gosh, I'm getting emotional. It's okay. We can edit it out. It, because it's so important as artists that we do support each other. We're not competing against each other. We need to stop thinking of art in that way. That is a broken system that we're competing this with this one carrot, if you will. The very few galleries, we're not. We need to lift each other up. And that is what... I felt in sleight of hand and that we have been carrying forth with this ideology of showing art, um, showing each other's art. Um, That exhibition inspired me for Kindred, which was an exhibition I had in the shitty yellow house. It was the second one I had. I say that I produced it, if you will, because I invited Lori Verba, Don Surratt, and Sal Taylor Kidd, who none of them live in Georgia, and I invited them to exhibit with me, 
and we all work in a similar vein where you know how you feel like, oh, that person's copying me or that person's style is so close to mine. Well, we specifically invited four artists that are different but also work from a very similar vein. And that's why it's, the show is called Kindred. And the way that we showed the work, you did not know necessarily where one artist ended and the other began. Nice. Yeah, as you mentioned, this podcast, The Ten Frame, is trying to take you know the advice and the help from people that are above me and where I'm at and the latter. People are, that are above me are going to hopefully pull me up, and I'm holding my hand behind me trying to lift other people up, mm-hmm. too. Yeah, I think it's important to just, it's just knowledge, so why not share it with as many people as you can? I'm an open book. Yeah. Well, the Savannah art community has been, always been really tight-knit and supportive. I've had friends that come here and are so shocked, actually, about how we support each other and how much support there is. And the Savannah community is always saying, well, we need support (laughs) and we need to support each other. And we do, and we need to always improve that, always. But we really do have it good, too. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah, that's what I'm I'm learning about Savannah, is just try to meet as many people as I possibly can. And I think this podcast hopefully will help me continually to meet people and move around and find opportunities so, yeah. I think the podcast is a great idea. Yeah, and if, even if no one listens to yeah. it, I don't have no idea why anyone would listen yeah. to me speak. But if anything else, it will um, you know, open the conversation, a conversation that needs to continue to happen. Um, yeah, we've had everybody from the owner of Service Brewery, Kevin. Kevin, I love Kevin and Meredith. Yeah. They're my people. To fiber artists, to photography. Mm-hmm. There's just... There's so many different disciplines in Savannah, so it's a big pool that we can grab content out of. Yeah. There are a lot of us, especially um, in the late 90s, early aughts, a huge group of us ended up staying here because it was so inexpensive then, and it didn't make sense to move to a bigger city where we couldn't afford to live and make art. Um, unfortunately, I think some of that is changing. It's becoming, well, it's expensive everywhere. But Yeah, the, it was a different day, you know, 10 years ago from what I understand. Savannah was really inexpensive, relatively inexpensive yeah. to live. I mean, when I first moved here in 1996, downtown was a ghost town. Yeah. You know, come 5 o'clock, everyone left. You could... Yeah walking down the middle of Broughton Street and see nobody. I lived on Broughton and East Broad. There was nobody, and it was great. It was a, I would call it a blank canvas. All of us, I kept thinking like, oh, I could open a shoe. There's no good shoe store besides Globe Shoes. There's no good anything. Like you could, the sky's the limit for businesses. And, but you know, we make art. We have great ideas. Totally. I've got two random questions. What's mm-hmm. your favorite color? Gray. And what makes you laugh? A lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> That's hard to pick one. I was going to say my husband's bad jokes, but 
that would feed his ego. <laughs> um, well, okay. I laugh a lot. I cry a lot too. Yeah. As I think I cried a little. I started to cry. I cry all the time, all but I laugh all the time too, just as much. What do you want to see in your career, in your creative career in five years or down the road? Someday? I know I have a lot to say, so I think the voice will be there. I hope I... There's going to be a corset. We've already discussed okay. <laughs> I hope I continue <laughs> to be brave. I hope I continue to put myself out there. I hope that we as artists work on a system that we're able to sustain ourselves as artists. And I mean... Really, not just emotionally, because I think that's important, but financially, too. It's really hard to make a living making art. It's not easy. And that's a detriment to our whole society. If only a certain group, a wealthy group, is able to have a really big you know, voice in art. So by us pulling each other up, by us talking about ways to sustain ourselves as artists as continuing that conversation i think that's that's what i hope in five years i'll always be making art i mean i don't know where i don't have big dreams anymore of like being picked up by the best gallery in the world because i've had galleries and i've been had bad experiences with galleries and I've had a couple good ones, but not as many. So those dreams are gone. The dreams are, is that I hope we have a bigger conversation about sustaining ourselves, not just myself, but ourselves as artists. A couple of things that I notice about your personality and what little I know about you that also translates into your work. And it seems like you're vulnerable and you're honest, and I appreciate that about you. Oh, my so, God. Thank, thank you, you very much for, for letting me spend some time with you. And Tobia <laughs> Macover. You make me laugh. Just say my name. <laughs> <laughs> Let me try that again. No, People can find you at tobiamacover.com. Yes. Or on Instagram at tobiamacover. Very good, Kevin. <laughs> Thank you. Don't ask me to say that your name again in like three minutes or 30 seconds because I medi- I intuitively will say Tobia. Tobia. To- Repeat after me, Kevin. <laughs> Tobia. Tobia. You got it. If you have something that you want to hear or somebody you would like to be interviewed or yourself, you can email us at the10frame at gmail.com. Or you can also direct message us through the Instagram account at the10frame. Bingo, bingo, bongo. Yeah. Peace out.